0: Hello and welcome to the Port Podcast. I'm Matt Willey, co publisher and senior editor at Port Magazine. Willard Asylum for the Insane opened in 1869 on the eastern shore of Seneca Lake, New York State. Its mission, treat the chronically insane with gentle and kindly understanding. Nearly 50,000 inmates lived at Willard throughout its 126-year history, and roughly half of them died there, a World War I veteran, a photographer, a nun, an Italian immigrant an amateur boxer, a World War II refugee. Some were committed because they drank too much. Some heard voices. Some despaired after a loved one had died. When it closed its doors in 1995, workers stumbled upon a discovery that shed light on the little-known world of patients who spent decades at the state institution for the insane.
1: It's not very fancy. It's just this tiny little thing. It records everything. So turn it up a little. Do you have a good ear? Do I have a good ear? Yeah, one that's better than the other. Well, I have this one's better than this one, but I have hair in both of them. So I know you worked at Willard, but you know, I never wrote down the, the years. Well, I, I went to work there the first day of June, 1948. I'm Karen Miller. I'm a poet and a practicing psychiatrist. One extraordinary thing about Willard was how big it became. It was the first psychiatric hospital in New York dedicated to people who were chronically mentally ill. In the 1920s and 30s, there were three or 4,000 patients there at any one time who were seen as not likely to recover. You got so you knew them. They'd be in there every four or five years. They'd uh-huh. have another breakdown they'd be back in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah. But the ones that we got from New York on those transfers, they were the ones that stayed. Mm-hmm. And they had, they got here. They, they were pretty much alone, around them on their own, and a lot of them. Lot you know, they could have, you know, mm-hmm. probably if someone understood, they could have lived on the outside. Know, you know, I, but I, they got institutionalized, and then yeah. you couldn't get them out. There were literally thousands of stories happening at the same time.
2: I was coming back from a wedding in Geneva, New York, with a friend who was an historic preservationist. She said, "Um, John, we're driving right by an amazing old building, the Willard Psychiatric Center. Have you ever seen it? And I said, no. I saw this unbelievable 1860s building that was sitting there on top of a hill overlooking Seneca Lake, abandoned. And I knew as soon as I saw it that I just really had to get in and photograph. My name is John Crispin, and I am a photographer. Willard had a large staff of employees, and when the state decided to close it, they asked several of the staff members to voluntarily go through all of the buildings that were on the grounds. So a woman whose name is Beverly Courtwright, she was given the task of going through every building to see what was there. She had a key to a door that was locked, and she put the key in the door and opened it up and said she felt a whoosh of energy come over her. And she looked into the room and saw suitcases that had been placed on uh, purpose-built racks, divided on the right side of the room and the left side of the room between men and women, just like the wards of the psych center had been divided.
1: Frida's was one of the very first cases that I looked at. She was a single woman, admitted to Willard in 1932, lived out her life at Willard. One of the reasons that I think about her so much is that she was known as a screamer. When I talked with the employees, at least half of them talked about their first encounter with Willard was to hear the screams. Frida was one of those.
2: People with epilepsy were at Willard. People who were gay were at Willard. People with sexual identity issues were at Willard. People who were seriously depressed were there. People who were melancholy over the loss of a child.
1: Her mother had died when she was only 18. Her father had been the principal of a school. After her admission to Willard, she spent many years restrained much of the time, because if she weren't restrained, she would take off all her clothes and run up and down the wards screaming. One thing that strikes me about Frida is how far she fell. She was a relatively successful young woman um, in the 1920s as a teacher, and she became desperately ill and spent the rest of her life in a hospital. Today, Symptoms where a young woman becomes psychotic, the psychosis has a sexual nature, and she's fearful of her father, would certainly raise the question of whether she had been sexually abused.
2: So I set up my seamless background, and I set up my lights, and I put my camera on a tripod and put the first case, which was owned by Frida B. I saw that it was a, a, a case that was built for a woman of some means, a mirror, a a hairbrush, a a little nail buffer, you know, things that a woman would take with her when she was going somewhere. And they're beautiful. They're of very art deco. They're a beautiful shade of green. And uh, immediately I thought, man, if every case has stuff in it that's this interesting, I'm really in for a long ride.
1: The stories of lives are long. And when I heard about the patients at Willard, I felt that little capsules had been released about their lives. It took about a year and a half for me to get access to the medical records. And one of the things that I wanted to convey is not only that they suffered from severe mental illness and suffered in other ways that mental illness exists, but they are more like us than unlike us.
3: Madeline. Madeline C., born 1896, admitted to Central Islip State Hospital, New York, 1932.
1: Madeline is a woman whose story is one of the most dramatic.
3: Transferred to Willard, 1939, died 1986. Madeline C. was born at the turn of the century in Paris. Educated at the Sorbonne, she came to New York City after the First World War, where she taught French at private schools and took graduate courses at Columbia University.
1: Her trunks are filled with all kinds of things, including many, many books.
3: She brought her life's belongings to Willard in neatly packed boxes, with tailored silk dresses, literature and philosophy texts in French, sheet music, a travel sewing kit, and artful photographs of exotic destinations.
1: And her own notebooks where she wrote about her experience.
3: She struggled through unemployment and hardship during the Great Depression, lost touch with her family in Paris, and grew depressed. After increasingly erratic behavior landed her in Bellevue Hospital, she eventually ended up at Willard in 1939. Madeline C. was deemed a difficult patient at Willard because she never stopped pleading to be set free.
1: She had the onset of paranoid and delusional thinking, and she tried to get help. Um, She went to a couple of psychiatrists as an outpatient, There's a notation that at least one of them managed to convince her briefly that those voices she was hearing were not real. But they took over again, and when she sought help again, she was immediately hospitalized.
3: She was heavily medicated. In the 1970s, damage from decades of antipsychotic medication ravaged the once-elegant woman. Her face was frozen in a grimace, and she suffered involuntary twitching of tongue and limbs. Group homes would not take Madeleine C because of her appearance. She was sent to a behavioral ward at Willard in a doomed attempt to rid her of the symptoms the drugs had caused.
1: And she never stopped being angry about having been hospitalized there.
3: She died in a nursing home in 1986 at age 90. People are fascinated by
2: differences. And people are probably a little bit afraid and a little bit intrigued by things that they feel like maybe someday they might experience. Um, When Utica was built, they didn't have any fences around the institution, and that was in 1838. And what happened was they eventually built fences, but it wasn't to keep patients from wandering off the grounds. It was to keep townspeople, who on Sundays would would walk up to the institution um, and just walk onto the grounds and walk into the buildings because the idea of madness was so intriguing.
3: Fred T., admitted to Willard about 1924, died unknown. He was transferred to Willard from a prison facility, but his crime, for which he was convicted and the reason of his transfer, were unknown. From his belongings, it would be hard to find a more industrious man in or out of a hospital. He bought newspapers and brought them back to Willard to sell, and persuaded Willard's blacksmith to make him a sled on which he could carry them. He kept lists of books he wanted to read, courses he wanted to take, income, and expenditures. He was fascinated by railroads and kept extensive lists of routes and stations. Included in his papers is a handwritten letter proposing a plan for unifying railroad lines. Fred's date of death is unknown, but Willard's staff recall him being there in the 1980s.
1: Because I suffered from quite a significant major depression myself when I was in my 30s, I had experienced how easy it was to fear that people would find out about it. I have an automatic kind of identification with anyone who's, who's suffering with mental illness. The poem, Report, is based on one year's worth of reports of accidents, elopements, and suicides. And if you multiply that by over 100 years and thousands of patients, these reports were very eloquent because drastic things had happened, and the people who were writing them wanted to describe, defend, evoke. Report 1946, who will hear, who will know, Addie, Amelia, Annabelle, Etta, Ethel, Gerald, George, Charles, DeWitt, Dagmar, Gus, Paul, Annie, Earl, Lilybell, These Laura cases
2: Bell, and their contents have so much of an emotional impact on people. Um, I have people who are following the project who are interested in ephemera. They're interested in Vitalis hair tonic bottles from the 1930s. I have people who are just compelled by the project because they had family members who've had mental illness or they themselves have had mental illness or they've been in psychiatric centers. It it feels so personal in all ways. It's as if um, I've been given a rare opportunity to to touch things that were very important to people whose lives were very
3: complicated. From Fred's Journal, January 12, 1926. Arose, eat breakfast. Today is my birthday. Made my bed, went to Ovid on the train. Returned, got the mail. Eat dinner, sat around. Until supper, smoked, went to bed.